Hello, everybody. This is Alex Barthet with the Lean Zone podcast. Today, we're rebroadcasting the presentation we gave with the Miami Construction Forum on how to deal with construction material price escalation. If you're not familiar with the Miami Construction Forum, it is an invitation-only live event that meets by the Miami International Airport every month. You can get more information at miamiconstructionforum.com to see the events for the rest of the year. We are also live streaming each event on LinkedIn Live. To get information on how to view it on LinkedIn Live, you can follow me, Alex Barthet, on LinkedIn, um, or you can follow the Miami Construction Forum on LinkedIn. I hope you enjoy the episode and see you at the next one. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Miami Construction Forum. Um, It's like high school, right? Everyone starts in the back. The front seats are empty, except the A students. Um, So my name is Alex Barthet. I am a board certified construction attorney. Today, we're going to talk about material price escalation. Now, we've been doing this uh, forum for almost seven years now. Uh, And this is one of the best crowds we have. So clearly, it is a hot topic. Um, Spoiler alert, I don't have the magic answer to solve all of your problems. But I am going to arm you with what we see is working and what we see is not working. And if you have any questions, this is the time to ask. I have a lot of clients in the room. They will be the first to tell you It's very rare that you get to ask a lawyer a question and not worry about getting a bill. This is one of those times. So if we we are taping it, but there's still no bill, Jack, I promise. Uh, So if you have any questions, make sure to ask. We have over 1,400 people that signed up on LinkedIn that are watching this live. That's why we have got the cameras. Um, And uh, as we do for every construction forum, at the end of the presentation, within a few days, you'll get an email from Narsi with a list of everyone that's here and signed up, plus a copy of the PowerPoint. So you don't have to take furious notes, take pictures of everything that's there, uh, because you will get it. Um, and then anybody that's watching on LinkedIn, you'll see a message. If you send an email to Narsi, she will go ahead and send you the PowerPoint presentation as well. So with that, let's go ahead and get started. So. We're going to talk about three specific things. Number one, what, does, what is the current state of construction material escalation? Two, how to deal with your existing contracts. Contracts you have already signed that have probably no escalation provision in them. Um, and then number three, how to deal with new contracts. And I'm going to give you very specific examples. I'm going to give you a draft letter that you can send. I'm going to show you contract provisions. Um, And as I said, I'm happy to answer any questions that you have. So let's get started. So what is the current state of material escalation? I'll probably tell you something that you already know. Um, It's gone through the roof. So this is the Cummings uh, Construction Material Price Index over the last 12 months. Steel, pipe, and tube up 57%. Um, gypsum products, 
uh, flat glass, almost 7%. Uh, this is a great chart if you need to convince anybody that doesn't already know that material prices have gone sky high. Um, we're also going to talk about delivery of materials. Um, what does it take to get materials to your site? Because getting access to materials is also very challenging. There are some other resources if you need to convince anybody. Um, these are the two best that I have found. Uh, the AGC 2022 Construction Inflation Alert. They've been publishing it almost monthly. And uh, they give a great breakdown uh, with a full analysis from the AGC Economist. The FDOT has done a great job as well putting together their index um, of items typically required for road building. Again, another great resource to the extent you need to convince anybody that this is real and it's happening uh, to your business. So, how do we deal with existing contracts? What is it that you have to do to try to get someone to pay you more money for a contract you have already signed? Something that is very, very difficult. So let's break it down into the different types of contracts that you may have. So maybe you have a verbal agreement. There's nothing in writing. Those are gonna be the easiest to deal with. My guess is most of you don't have this. Most of your contracts are in writing. But to the extent that you have an agreement that is not in writing, that is a great uh, agreement for you if you want to change the price. Because there's nothing firm about a verbal agreement. You can say, I no longer can honor that price. My new price is X. Um, now maybe you gave a quote or a proposal Maybe it has an expiration date. Um, we know some supply houses that had, you know, we give you a quote, it's good for 30 days. We're now seeing those same supply houses say, we'll give you a quote, it's good until tomorrow morning. Um, so if, you, if you're giving quotes or you have a quote, does it have an expiration date? Is there something you can do with the expiration date or the quote you have? Um, maybe, you can retract whatever you gave to somebody that is your contract. So you think that you have a valid binding written agreement, but maybe you never got it back from them. So if you never got a countersigned copy, you may want to consider sending an email saying, um, we've sent you this agreement. It hasn't been countersigned. We are retracting our uh, position. We, we no longer can honor the, the proposal or contract that we gave you. Um, so th those are some of the things you can consider. Those, that's, let's call it, that's the low-hanging fruit, the easy, easy things to solve. Now what happens if you have a written agreement? Uh, it becomes much harder. Almost every contract that I have seen in this scenario has a firm price. Um, most of them have language that says your price is your price. It doesn't matter what happens in the world. You, you have to honor the price that you gave us no matter what. So these are going to be the hardest contracts to try to overcome. But there are some things that you can try. And often not to sign the agreement. Um, but everything comes with a caveat. And that caveat is you may have signed certain documents at the time of bid or 
you signed an LOI that said you agree that you are going to perform this contract uh, according to our standard contract terms and conditions um, for the price that you agree to. So you may not have actually signed the, the actual document, but maybe you have other documents that are uh, supporting the idea that you are still bound by this uh, agreement. So you have to look at that. Did you bond the job? Uh, if you have not yet issued the bond, you should pause and maybe reconsider actually issuing the bond. So again, the scenario is you've signed the contract, but you haven't actually given the bond yet. If you haven't given the bond, the moment you give the other side your payment and performance bond, um, you are pretty much locked in because now they can make a claim against your surety. So if you haven't issued the bond, my advice is pause. Just take a breath and figure out, is there anything that can be done in the situation that you're in before you give the bond? But do know that if you signed a contract that said you had to give a bond and you don't give that bond, you are now technically in breach of that contract. So this is not a solution. I'm not saying if you, if, if you haven't given the bond, never give them the bond. You just need to be careful because now the moment you give them the bond, they have additional leverage because if you don't fulfill your agreement, they will make a claim or could make a claim against your payment and performance bond. Um, so let's talk about some other provisions and other situations that we see and how you can try to find some creative way to solve this problem. So everyone likes to talk about force majeure, right? That was the, uh, the concept that everyone was talking about as the pandemic happened. Um, there have been very few cases in the country where courts have found that force majeure applies to COVID even when COVID started. That has almost completely been eroded away because to the extent you signed a contract six months ago, COVID wasn't a surprise. You knew about COVID. So, you, so claiming that, that the problems that you're facing today are COVID related doesn't really get you anywhere because when you signed it six months ago, we were in the midst of COVID. So force majeure is a legal concept that says if there is some basis for you being excused from performance, then uh, some legal basis for being excused from performance, then you will be excused from your performance on the contract. But the concept force majeure is almost always defined in your contract. So you have to look at how your contract defines force majeure. And most contracts that you sign that probably have a no escalation provision have either no force majeure provision or a force majeure, force majeure provision that is so narrowly tailored, it is of little or no value to you. So um, you have to read that provision and see how it gives you a right. So for example, the force majeure provision may say, um, we will give you a time extension, but no compensation to the extent you can document we uh, adverse weather 
on the project exceeding 14 days, right? So it's, it's under the force majeure section of the contract, but that's not the problem we have. We don't have a, a weather event problem. Also, most force majeure provisions and most contracts say that typically all you are entitled to get uh, is time, not necessarily money. We have some general contractors in the room um, and their subcontracts uh, will reluctantly give you time if you follow the process in the subcontract, but they never ever want to give you money, especially money that they haven't already received from an owner. So again, just be very cautious about force majeure. Don't think that it's the panacea that's going to solve your problem. However, you actually have to read what the provision says because sometimes, I read a contract last night and it actually had some pretty good language in it in the force majeure section. So if the provision talks about war or armed conflict and you can point to the Ukraine-Russia situation as the reason that you have a, a price escalation, you are now in the game to have a conversation that, look, this war in Ukraine falls under our force majeure provision because it, it specifically references war or an armed conflict. So keep that in mind. That's one thing to check. It's rare that we see this in a contract that would typically be given to you. Usually we see this next provision as something you may try to add as an addendum. But sometimes you'll have something that says that you are relieved from performance for events beyond your reasonable control. If that's the case, you can argue. Now, again, none of this is, is the magic bullet to solve this problem. But what it, is, what it does do is it gives you something to argue about as we go into our next uh, section, um, which is a letter that I'm going to show you that you can send making the request. So obviously, this price escalation is beyond your control. So if you can point to that provision as the basis for why you are entitled to more money, um, you need to do it. Because again, the goal of this exercise is to find a way to point to something in your contract, plus the information that I gave you about material escalation prices from the AGC and others, and then try to have a sit-down meeting with the contractor, the subcontractor, the owner, and, and make your pitch that you're entitled to more money. What are some other provisions you can look at? Um, sometimes, it's pretty rare, you'll see a provision called changes in the law. Maybe uh, you can tie in some of your escalation to changes in the law. This is very narrow, um, but as you may know, the uh, prices for, or the, the pay scale for prevailing wage jobs has gone significantly higher. Um, if, you do public, if you do public work or work that is publicly funded, you usually have to follow the prevailing wage. And the wages from last year to this year for some disciplines have gone up a lot. You may be able to argue that that constitute, constituted a change in the law, and that change in the law should entitle you to that additional pay that you have to pay these prevailing wage um, employees of yours. 
all of this has to be read with your contract in total, meaning you, you still have to follow the claim and change order process that may be in your contract. So if, you, if the contract says that any claim has to be submitted in seven days, five days, you need to follow that process because that's exactly what you're doing. You are making a request for uh, effectively an equitable adjustment to your contract. So we want to limit all of the reasons that an owner or contractor can complain that you didn't follow the contract. So if the contract says, if you have to make a claim against me, you have to do it in seven days, and it has to be in writing, and you gotta send it certified mail, and you gotta send it to this address. When you make your request, as best as possible, try to comply with those notice requirements in the contract, because you got a, a, a significant hurdle to overcome those issues aside. We want to try to take those easy issues off the table if possible. So whatever the claim process is, you want to make sure that you follow it uh, per your contract. Can you argue that any of this escalation is, a, is connected to new work? because then you will fall under the change order process. This is very narrow, it won't happen all the time, but the goal would be, I've been asked to do new work, now to get a price, the price goes up. I'm gonna to try to tie in this change order with an escalation of the rest of the contract or some of the rest of the contract. Again, these, none of these arguments are, are great because you, you may have signed a contract that said no matter what, your contract price is, is never gonna change. Um, most contracts have a claim section. I mentioned that before. So some contracts have a change order section and another section that says claims. If you want to make a claim for any amount of money, you have to follow this process. So you, again, you want to make sure that when you submit your request that you follow that process. Just know that almost every contract, whether it's a contract from the owner to the GC, GC to the subs, subs to sub-subs. Um, almost always there is what's called a no damage for delay clause. And that is a clause that says, no matter what, even if you're 100% right on what you're telling me, your only remedy is more time, not more money. So we have to find a way to try to overcome that. That's why I'm pointing to these other potential provisions in the contract or other creative arguments you can make in order to try to, to say that you don't necessarily fall within that section of the contract, that you are entitled to money in addition to time. But, by, but those are not, by the way, the strongest arguments you have. Um, I'm gonna give you an example of a situation we helped a, a client recently um, so their contract, they are a, a material supplier. They don't provide any um, actual labor. Um, they deliver uh, fabricated products. And their contract that they happened to sign with, a, uh, in this case, a subcontractor, required that they deliver their product by a date certain. Well, that date was like six months out. Um, the contractor gave a schedule, so it was supposed to be a scheduled delivery of materials. But when you read the contract, it doesn't say that. The contract says we will deliver effectively 10 stories worth of our product by this date. 
Um, so our client needed uh, about an additional $500,000 worth of money for just the escalation associated with the product on this one job. So he gave me the contract and, and what we did is we said, look, your price is firm. You, you agreed that you were never going to change your price. But you, the contractor's telling you that you need to deliver this product uh, in a phased manner over the course of the job. But the contract doesn't say that. The contract says you just need to deliver it at the end of six months. So what we're going to do is we're going to go back to the subcontractor and say, guys, this says we have to deliver it six months from now. That's when we're going to deliver it. But if you want us to deliver the product so that you can meet your schedule, which is not a part of our contract, uh, so that you can uh, finish your job on time, we need another half a million dollars. So the, we, we were not allowed to change the price. But what we did is we found another way to argue that we should be entitled to some money because you want something that, that, that's not exactly in the contract. We negotiated back and forth, and I, I think we got about $200,000 more um, for the, effectively for the, our client to give what he understood he had to do, which is a phase delivery, but it didn't say that in the agreement. So that's an example of a situation in which you have to be really creative about how to solve this problem. Um, and every situation is gonna be a little different. Um, and it's important that you um, seek legal advice to read your contract, read all the fine print, so that maybe you can find some narrow avenue, some way to try to get uh, some additional money. Okay, so let's take a pause. We have some vendors in the room. I'm sure none of the vendors in the room do this, but I've heard stories that vendors are not honoring their prices. Um, we have had clients who've told me, hey, I have a firm price from my vendor for materials. That price was supposed to be good through June. And they sent me a letter and they said, nope, we're doing a surcharge. Nope, we need more money. Nope, we're putting you on allocation. Um, and you go back to them and you say, wait a second, I, I have this contract, this, this purchase order you sent me on your letterhead that said this price was firm. And their answer was, sue us. Um, but, oh, but you need the material. So, oh, and, and no one else can give you this material because everyone else is fully at capacity. Oh, and, and by the way, this price increase that I've just told you about that you have to pay is still less expensive than if you went to my competitor and asked them to quote a new job. Um, and they still probably couldn't give it to you in time. So if you want to sue me, you can sue me, but, but that's where we're at. So it feels a lot like extortion. Um, yeah, exactly, right? What a partnership. Uh, so one of the things that you need to look at, um, and we're going to come back to, to vendors holding their prices. Um, do you have it in writing? It's absolutely critical that when you buy material from your vendors, even product that you normally would just pick up the phone and order, that you try to get those prices in writing. And the reason is gonna become obvious in a minute when we talk about the next phase of this. But having that written price is gonna be very important. 
So you want to get those prices in writing. You want to get the term. So if you understood the term is you're going to hold your price till June 30th, then you need that in whatever the document is you get from your vendor that makes up your agreement. Um, was it a firm price? Were there any, uh, was there any other language in the quote that would suggest that the price actually wasn't firm? Um, does it have some other provisions in the contract that say, oh, we can change our price anytime we want? We've seen that, right? So you get a quote and it incorporates the terms and conditions which don't actually happen to be with the document, but maybe they, it's referenced on a web page. Maybe it was the terms and conditions you signed when you signed the credit app. Um, you need to go back and look because maybe there it says these terms and conditions govern and oh, by the way, we can change our price anytime we want. So you have to look at any other document that makes up your quote. Um, so then the next question is, can you sue them? Like legally, do you have a basis to do it? And I've been approached by some clients that have been uh, stiffed by some vendors who unilaterally raise prices uh, separate and apart from their uh, their obligation to do it. Um, and yes, we had a great legal case, but the client made a decision that, I, I, what am I going to do? I can't get it anywhere else. If I don't get product from this vendor, I can't get it from anybody else, and I need that product. I, I, then I can't deliver to my client. So even though we've been presented with good legal claims, um, none of our clients have ever decided to pursue that claim because um, it would effectively put them out of business. So they get strong-armed. And what we find is that the subcontractors are kind of in the pinch point, as they, in my opinion, typically are all the time, right? They're getting the pressure from the contractor. They have to pay their vendors and their labor. Um, so this is another example of a subcontractor getting pinched. Um, as I mentioned, maybe they'll cut you off. Um, and maybe you can't get substitute materials. So you have to make a decision, you know, what are you going to do when your vendor decides to change uh, their price on you? The purpose of this portion of the topic is for you to understand that you should not avoid putting in a escalation provision in your contract, and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes, because you believe that you have a firm price from your vendor. Because that firm price, if things go out of control again, may in fact not be as firm as you think it is. Um, so keep that in mind. Okay, so, so what's next? H how do we deal with this? Um, one of the things that you can do is to try to negotiate uh, a better price. And if you don't have a great legal basis to do it, you are going to use, to some degree, the tactic I described to you, um, which is a little bit of a strong-arm negotiation. Because understand that the position that you are in with your customer is, uh, you know, you may feel like you are on the short end of the, the stick, but they have, your customer, your client, has, has the same problems, the same obligation to deliver that you do. And if you're a subcontractor in the room, know that the contractor and the owner are not only having to deal with your escalation issues, but they're dealing with the plumbers, the roofers, the uh, glazing contractor, the structural contractor. So all of that is mounting um, on the GC. So you need to be able to use this to your advantage as best you can. Um, 
Okay, so, so if you're requesting an accommodation, right, that's, that's what we, we want. We want to say, I need more time or more money or both to accomplish what I originally agreed to do. Um, you need to send that request as quickly as possible. If you have jobs that you're thinking, wow, I probably should do this, you, know, you need to do it right away. Because um, uh, I'll explain a little bit later why it's really important, but the early bird gets the worm in this situation. So the, the first people that make this request typically have the better uh, recovery rate than the people that are making it at the end. You need to provide the backup. Every situation that we have assisted a client with in this situation has always done better when they've provided detailed backup. So you want to you want to summarize it like here's my total. I'm asking for another half a million dollars. Here's a summary of, of how it's broken down. And here's all the backup to support my request. And, and that backup is, is absolutely critical. You are going to someone who you have a contract with where you negotiated an agreement for a certain price and you're saying, I need more money, I need more time. So they're gonna wanna know that what you're asking for is real. So what are the documents that you can provide to, to support your position as best as possible? So I would tell you, you need written quotes from whoever it is that provided, that, that's, that you are dealing the, with the escalation with at the time of bid and currently. So let's talk about how you bid a job, right? You see a job you're interested in, you talk to the contractor, you get the plans, you now go to your network of subs and vendors and you have them start pricing to you so that you can put your number together to give to the contractor who will then take all of that put it together and give it to the owner so when you are presenting your claim for additional money what the contractor is going to want to see from you and what the owner is going to want to see from you and the contractor is that you actually did everything you could to secure the price for your materials at the, at the bid time. So if you are saying um, concrete went up an extra 20%, what are you going to hand to the contractor and the owner to show that when you bid the job, you had a commitment for concrete at one price, and now today it's a different price? So that you, anyone could put numbers on a spreadsheet. And the contractors are going to look a little askew, and owners are going to look a little askew at just numbers on a spreadsheet. They want to see the vendor price. So that's why it's absolutely critical that you get vendor prices from everybody, because you're going to need it if you're going to ask people for more money. Um, now, we've been dealing with some clients who have had a hard time getting vendors to give them anything in writing to support the increase. So one of the other things that owners and contractors want to see is they want to see what the 
um, vendor is giving to you as the basis for the price increase. Some vendors and manufacturers are much more open than others. So maybe you get a letter from your pipe supplier that says, you know, pig iron has gone through the roof, scrap steel has gone through the roof, you know, this is why, and the war in Ukraine is the reason, and, and this is why now we're adding a, you know, $10 uh, a foot surcharge on your steel or cast iron pipe. Um, that's the documentation you want to get and put in your package when you give it to the contractor and the owner. The more you can do to support your claim, the easier it's going to be to make this very, very difficult sell. Okay. So, again, you don't have to take a picture of this, I promise. I'll send everyone the, the PowerPoint. So this is a form letter, we're going to read it, um, that you can send to different people making your request for a price adjustment. As you know, ongoing supply chain issues and global geopolitical events continue to escalate the price and constrain the availability of raw materials for construction. The Associated General con Contractors most recent economic survey shows that the price of materials and services for construction jumped more than 21% from March of 2021 to March of 2022. We are seeing similar increases in the materials used on the project. Notwithstanding, we are committed to mitigating the impacts of these market conditions on behalf of our clients and partners. At the same time, and in large part for the reasons that caused this escalation, the region is seeing record demand, sales prices, and rental rates. Many developers and owners are commanding higher prices than their original pro formas projected, which is leading to greater profits. Prior to this notice, we have used extraordinary efforts to try to absorb the cost increases and maintain the project schedule. The potential delays and the ever-increasing material costs are without any fault or responsibility on our part. Unfortunately, we cannot continue to absorb these costs and are now forced to reach out to open a dialogue about price escalations and possible time extensions. Please consider this our notice of claim and request for an equitable adjustment. It continues to be our goal to minimize costs and maintain project schedules. To, this, to do this, we must all work together. In the long run, this is in the best interest of all of us, for all of us. Please let us know your availability to meet to discuss an amicable resolution of these issues. The, the backup of our claim is attached for your review and consideration. Thank you and we look forward to hearing from you very soon. So this is a letter that you can send with your backup to support your claim asking for more time or more money. Um, so if you have a specific contract provision that's helpful, Maybe you have a force majeure provision that says um, that war is the basis for a price adjustment. Um, maybe that's paragraph 16.2. You want to put that, you want to reference that in the letter. This is obviously a very generic letter that needs to be tailored to your situation. We are typically seeing our clients get anywhere from 0%. Some, some clients try to get more money and they get nothing. 
to as much as 50% of their request. Um, and the process is the one I told you. You're gonna make a request in writing, you're gonna provide your backup, and you're gonna meet with the contractor and owner, and you're going to implore them to consider giving you more money so that you don't have to demobilize. Again, we're gonna talk about threatening to, to come off the job. That's a, that's a very dangerous thing to do. And at the same time, you're going to remind them that they are the beneficiaries of this market, right? The reason that they're making more money today than they expected to six months ago or 12 months ago are all of the reasons that steel costs more today than it did 12 months ago. It's all connected. So it would be inequitable. It would be unfair for them to reap 100% of that benefit and not have to pay anything for it. And we're not asking for all of our escalation, right? We're asking for some of it because I'm paying more for labor. And you know, I'm not asking you for more for nails, right? And uh, metal straps and gas. Uh, I'm asking for the big stuff, right? So even if you paid me all of the big stuff I'm asking for, it's still not everything that I am dealing with. And the goal is that you wanna, you need, to, you need to understand that if you have a poorly drafted contract with no escalation, the likelihood is you may get zero. But if you ask for half a million, maybe you get 100,000. Maybe you get 200,000. I would tell you the vast majority of our clients that have used this approach have recovered something. It's never all of the money that they want, but it's more than they realistically uh, hoped to get. Something else to keep in mind, you have one shot to do this. You cannot do this many times on a job. So you need to be certain that if you're going to cross the Rubicon here and make this request, that whatever happens later, it's gonna be really hard, really hard to get a contractor or owner to give you even more money, give you money a second time. Um, so be very cautious about your requests and make sure that it covers everything you need to get you to the finish line. Um, <clears throat> we see higher success rates on these requests on private jobs than on public jobs. Um, so our clients that are building, you know, so-and-so condo for so-and-so developer, and they need an extra $500,000 for concrete um, and rebar, are usually doing better than if they have a contract with a, a municipal owner. Um, and typically we, we see that as um, that there is a, uh, which is the next point, a contingency. Every contract has some contingency in it. So a municipal contract has some contingency. Uh, government officials that are managing your project are very uh, hesitant to give out that contingency too early. They want to use it, they want to save it for the rest of the job, but more so for them to go beyond that contingency usually requires that they have to go back to their boss. Is that the commissioner, the district, the school board, whoever it is, and they don't want to do that if they don't have to. So um, that's why, by the way, making your request early usually gets you a better result than making a request later. Because if you're kind of the first person in 
and you can convince the contractor or the owner that you're, that, you know, look, guys, you're carrying a 3% contingency, right, on this job, so you should give me some of it. You have the money there. It's, I'm not asking you for more money from you. It's, it's money you were ex expecting to spend anyways. So if you can get ahead of it and, and, and try to get some of that contingency money, it makes the sell a little easier um, when you're asking for this money. Um, okay, so I told you about threatening to default. <clears throat> you have to be incredibly careful about doing this. If you, um, I, I, would, I would be very careful about threatening that you are going to stop working in writing. I would not recommend that you put that in a text message, in an email. Um, you may allude to it at a meeting. Um, what's that? Verbally is better. Um, that gives you some plausible deniability. Uh, but, but if you threaten to stop working under most contracts and under Florida law, that's generally considered a default. Um, so, you, so the, just, just saying, uh, especially in writing, if you don't pay me this money, I will stop working, you have, you've kind of walked into a situation where you will put yourself in default. Now, maybe it works out for you. Maybe you're able to convince them to pay you more money. But if it doesn't, and they want to take a hard line with you, you've now given them a ready-made breach of contract case where they will likely win and you will likely lose. So be very careful about that. If you bonded the job, know that if you can't make this deal, they can pick up the phone and make a claim against your performance bond surety. And your performance bond surety then is going to come to you and say, how are you going to solve this problem? You know, you signed a contract that said you were going to finish this job for this price. And if you don't finish it for that price, we're going to finish it and come after you, our indemnitors. So be very, very careful about making this uh, play if the job is bonded. Um, that adds a whole nother layer of complexity to this already difficult situation. Um, I already mentioned comply with all time and notice requirements. If you have a contract that says notice has to be given in seven days, you should be sending this in seven days. By the way, the little things matter. So if your contract says it's got to go to John Smith via certified mail, you could send it to everybody via email, but you have to make sure you also send it via certified mail pursuant to the notice provisions of your contract. Don't skip that step because um, technically that's what the contract requires and someone could say, well, we you didn't send it the right way so we didn't deem it an appropriate notice. Um, one last thing to keep in mind. If you make a claim and now this claim is out there, right? So you've, you've taken this letter, you've sent it with your backup, Right? You, have a, you have a claim that's, that's, that's out there. Um, now you're going to get paid your next draw. And when you have to sign a release, most releases that you have to sign say you release any and all of your rights to any change orders, any claims, any delays, anything and everything through and including this period of time, which is usually the end of the month. You need to put an exception in those releases uh, uh, that references your claim. So you're going to add a sentence that says, uh, notwithstanding the foregoing, this release specifically excludes our claim for additional compensation dated 
June 7th. Um, if you don't carve out your claim from your release, and you actually read the releases that you typically sign, you are releasing all of those rights every month. So our advice generally is that every month, this, this is a whole other seminar, by the way, every month when you sign a release, you need to add as an exception to your releases all of your pending claims and change orders. And if you don't, just know that when you sign that you know, one or two page release that's an eight point font, you're giving up all of your rights um, when you sign that release, unless you specifically carve it out of your release. So that's what we're talking about. You have a claim, you need to preserve it until it's resolved, and the only way to preserve it every month is to include that exception in your release. Okay, so who has any questions about how to deal with existing contracts? Someone must have some questions. Horror stories? Anything? Anybody? Yes. Yeah, so the question is, if you, uh, you've, you've threatened to walk off or alluded to walking off because you need more money to finish the job and, and they, there's no agreement or even worse, they say no, do you have to keep working? And the answer, unfortunately, is probably yes. So um, if you sign a contract that's given to you by a sophisticated owner or a sophisticated contractor, they have a provision in it that says, under no circumstances can you ever stop working. Even if we owe you money, even if we're arguing about changes, you have to keep working. Your remedy is the remedy that's listed in the contract, which is we have to, the principles of the companies have to meet, maybe we have to go to mediation, maybe there's arbitration, maybe there's litigation, but that's your remedy. Stopping work is specifically excluded as a remedy. So you have to read the contract and see what it says, but if your contract is, you know, more than four or five, six pages, you know, some of these subcontractors, uh, subcontracts, you know, that's 30, 40, 80 pages. So that's probably going to be in there. But I know some of the work you do is, you know, your own quote, right? You, yeah. you, you hand them your terms. Yeah. So what you want to do, if that's the case, is put provisions in your terms that say, uh, we're going to talk about those, price escalation. And if we can't come to an agreement, I don't have to keep working. Um, so the answer, the short answer to your question is, it depends on the contract that you sign. Yes, Vic. Okay, let's deal with that. This is one question. Okay, so how does repeat it one more time, Vic? Got it. Okay, so how to deal with uh, lead times? So again, the the real distinction in in our discussion, as as the presentation is set up, is how to deal with existing contracts and how to deal with new contracts. We're gonna, we're gonna deal with this, this issue of uh, lead times and delivery schedules easily when we talk about new contracts. But if we're talking about contracts you have already signed, the question is how does lead times affect it? Well, just like your contract has a firm price, your contract probably has a schedule that you agreed to live by. So that contract probably says, um, attached as exhibit, you know, double Q is uh, our schedule. It's the full schedule of the project, and you agree that you're going to live up to the schedule. It probably also has a provision that says something like, okay, if we as the owner or contractor want to 
reorient your forces, have you accelerate or decelerate, mobilize or demobilize, you agree that 100% of that is going to be included in your price. Um, so the short answer is part of this is going back to the contract and determining what does your contract say. Most contracts, unfortunately, from sophisticated owners or sophisticated contractors have foreclosed that out as a, th there's no easy answer to solve that problem. It's all of the things we've been talking about. What's the next question, Vic? Um, well, so if this is a new, so the question is, uh, the agreement between this person and their vendor says they get to meet once a quarter to renegotiate prices. How do, how do you deal with that when that's what your vendor says? Um, I would tell you, if, if, this is, if we're negotiating today, most everybody understands that, that they cannot commit to prices for an extended duration. Um, and again, we're going to go into more detail about that on how to deal with new contracts. So yes, you can push back and you can say, no, I don't agree. I need you to give me a firm price. The problem is, is that the counterparty may say, I cannot give you a firm price. Um, and, and while I was picking on suppliers a while ago, let me tell you that they themselves have, a, have problems of their own with their manufacturers. We're dealing with a supply house who received a commitment from the manufacturer for steel pipe, um, have, has a, a firm written agreement with the manufacturer, has several emails confirming both delivery schedule and a firm holding of a price for this steel pipe. And we then, as the supply house, took that price and gave it to our customer who placed an order. And now the manufacturer came back in March and said, we can no longer honor that price. Um, so from now on, we're adding a surcharge. Oh, and the new price is X. Oh, and um, we can't agree to those delivery times. Uh, so your supply house is acting themselves as a middleman to the manufacturers that are, that are providing the product. So in, in today's economy, if that was happening and negotiated today, everyone would seem to understand. I, I get it. I know you can't commit, so I can't commit. But sometimes the commitments you get from your vendors, as I told you, can be upended, not necessarily because they're trying to get more money, but because their own suppliers have changed the terms on them. Does anybody have any other questions? Yes. Yeah, so, so the question is, you know, if you have jobs, uh, going back to the well more than once, if you have multiple, if you have jobs that started a long, or were awarded a long time ago, what to do? You know, there, there may be an argument, again, it won't be in the contract, but you know, you may be able to fashion a legal argument that if you quoted a job and signed a contract pre-COVID and today it still hasn't started, that, that maybe you can void the agreement because just the mere passage of time, that, that it's unreasonable to think that you would hold your agreement for so long. I'm guessing as well, if you looked at the schedule that is probably part of the contract, it probably has already elapsed, meaning that the, the, job, the whole job was supposed to be done by now and it hasn't even started. So you know, that's an example of, of an argument you can use that's specific to your situation. It's not a, a guaranteed fix, but in my mind, that would be a great argument to go back to and say, look, I, I can't keep holding this price you know, we bid this three years ago. I signed a contract two and a half years ago and we haven't even started. Um, 
you know, part of this is a discussion with your legal counsel to understand the ramifications of, well, if we do this, then what are the bad things that could happen if, if, if it doesn't go like we planned? So, right, so the question is how long is, I, I guess the, the question is how long is a proposal good if you don't specifically put in a, an exception that it's limited for a certain amount of time? The law um, generally says that you, that it's good for a reasonable amount of time. Is it 15 days? Is it 30 days? Is it 60 days? It's hard to say, but I would, I, you know, the, the, the norm generally is 30 days. Maybe you extend it to 60 days, but it's unreasonable for someone to think that you are going to give them a price that's good indefinitely. So if you gave a price and it doesn't have a specific exclusion and you gave that to them in November, I would say you're on pretty good legal footing to say, well, you didn't accept it in 30 days or 45 days or 60 days or 90 days. Look, we're in April. So I can't honor that price anymore. Uh, yes, so the, the goal would be that you have a, an agreement in 30 days, right? So it has to be uh, accepted. Yeah, so, so the best thing to do is to put more exculpatory language in your agreement, in your quotes. That's always better. But again, my opinion is if you gave someone a price that hasn't been a, a accepted more than 30, 60 days ago, you're in a good place to say, no, I don't agree. Um, I don't, I cannot honor that price anymore. Yeah, so, so again, the issue is that when you look at a, when you look at the releases that you have to sign with your owners or contractors, if it's not the statutory release form, it's a much longer form. And that form gives up all of your rights for anything and everything um, that would have existed at that time. So you need to include an exclusion for all pending change orders and, and in our example, the claim that you submitted. So you're gonna reference that. And the reason you wanna do that is so that you don't release it as part of your release so that you can preserve it later. All right, so the question is, if there's a change and the contract doesn't have unit prices and now you're asked to add new work, do you use today's prices or your original prices? So some GC contracts say that when you add new work, you have to add it at the original price. So some of them actually say that. Some owner contracts say that. In my experience, most don't, and you can add it at the new price. So the default should be to add it at the new price, but be prepared to support it because the owner and the contractor are gonna to wanna to see that new price. But I think you, you, you're in, on good footing to add, uh, add it at the new price. All right, one last question and we'll go on. All right, so the question is, if you have a contract and a, uh, a change order for 10% new work, and 90% old work, but you can't start the old work until the new work is, the change order work is released. Um, how do you deal with that? So again, this, my, my default answer is we gotta look at the contract to see what it says, but, but, but generally speaking, what I would say is that you should send the contractor or owner a letter, an email that says, I cannot hold my original price until you approve the new price because I can't, I can't buy what I need for the existing work until you release this new. So either you tell me now 
or just know that I may request a extension for additional time and money. So I would, I would put them on notice first and then see what that does. Maybe that releases the 10%. I know that the, what you really want is them not to do it so that you can charge more money on, on all of it. But, but to do it right, you have to at least give them notice that that is a consequence of them not acting. And then we'd have to see how it, how it goes from there. All right, so let's move on to dealing. Okay, so I'm going to disclaim what was just said. I think it's a fantastic, I think it's a fantastic idea. But, but okay, so for all of you that are online, uh, the comment was, well, if you change the release in the same font and style, uh, then slightly. slightly, slightly, I get it, slightly, right? I agree, you are the only one signing it. Uh, then by doing that, then you can solve the problem. And we have had clients that do that. Blake, I'm sure you, you have your team read every release every time it comes through, just because. Um, but yes, that, that, is, that, is a, that is a workable solution. I'm gonna put an asterisk right here, okay? All right, so let's deal with new contracts. All right. So you need to add an escalation to every new contract, right? So any contract you sign today, you absolutely need to add an escalation provision. You need to consider both dollars and time. Um, and again, as I told you before, even if you have firm commitments from your vendors, I strongly encourage you to also add or try to add an escalation provision to your contract. Um, okay, so let's take a look at two provisions that are the complete opposite of one another. Um, one is friendly to the party that is adding it, meaning they, they want to be able to ask for an escalation. And the second one is the opposing party's counterposition to, okay, I'll give you an acceleration or uh, escalation, but only on limited conditions. So let's go through each one of them um, and I will read them. Okay. so. So this is a provision you can add. When, uh, where and when the delivery of materials is delayed or quantities are limited as a result of shortages, rationing, or unavailability, subcontractors shall not be liable or responsible for any delays or damages caused thereby. When this occurs, subcontractor may propose substitute materials or suppliers or alternate means of acquiring said materials and contractor and subcontractors shall negotiate an equitable price and time adjustment to the agreement. Additionally, when the costs of any or all, or any or all labor or materials exceeds 5% more than the price originally quoted to subcontractor, then subcontractor shall notice contractor in writing of such change and the parties shall come to a mutual agreement on a new price. Until such time as Subcontractor and contractor negotiate any applicable price and time adjustments. Subcontractors shall be relieved of further performance under this agreement. This provision shall control over all other terms and conditions in the agreement and contract documents. So let me be the first to tell you that there is no general contractor or owner that will ever sign this provision, okay? <laughs> However, it will start a discussion to deal with cost escalation in your contract. 
So you need to start somewhere, right? Because if, you, if you're just, you're going to get a contract from an owner or a contractor, and it's going to say your price is firm. So you need to put something back to say, I may need more time, I may need more money. This is what I propose. Um, I'm sure the general contractors in the room would say, we would absolutely never sign this. And I understand that. But now we're going to talk about it. Okay, you're not going to sign this. So what is it that you will sign? How do we deal with this problem? Because you know and I know that I can't commit to a price um, without having some ability to ask for more money later. So other things to add that may be significant to your business. Uh, fuel, freight. Um, maybe there are other things that, that, you know, storage, that matter a lot to your business. Um, and as a result, you need to add them to your escalation. So now here is a contractor-friendly version or an owner-friendly version, right? So thank you for your provision. We will never sign it. But here's a counter provision that maybe you can consider. If during the performance of the contract, the price of any specific material increases by more than 25% from the date the price which was originally obtained to the date the material is purchased and subject to the conditions below, the subcontractor may seek an, an equitable price adjustment for the amounts above, I, for the amounts above said 25% increase. This provision requires all of the following to occur for an equitable price adjustment to take place. The subcontractor um, has documentable evidence that it obtained a firm written quote for said material and that said material and said amount was carried in its bid to contractor. Two, that the subcontractor used its best efforts to lock in said price for the duration of the contract and for the period when it would need the materials on site and that subcontractor used its best efforts to timely order and schedule the material at said original price. Three, subcontractor has first used all available subcontract bid contingency and savings. And four, subcontractor submitted its formal written request for equitable adjustment to contractor within 15 business days of its first notice that the price increase for said materials would exceed the 25% threshold. This provision applies to each material item individually and not any group of materials or all materials collectively. So we've now talked about like the two extremes, right? As a subcontractor, you look at this and say, well, this is a gauntlet that is almost impossible to cross, but a contractor has given you an ability to ask for more time and, and money. Um, again, part of this is negotiating. Maybe it's not 25%, maybe it's 10%, maybe it's 15%. Um, what seems to be, in our experience, absolutely consistent is that the contractors and owners want proof that you did the best you could to lock in a price and that today that price is different, not because it just changed, but because it changed and you did everything you could to prevent it. So the fact that you pick up the phone and get a quote verbally, and you put that in your bid, and now the price is 25% higher, 
I'm here to tell you most contractors and owners are not going to be all that impressed with your position. Um, they may make a deal with you because they have no other choice, but it's not because they think you did the, the best job possible at locking in your price. There's lots of contingencies, savings. Everyone's going to want you to use all of that before you come and ask them for a nickel. And then every one of these provisions always has a threshold. Is it 5%? Is it 25%? We're not giving you another dollar just because it costs you another dollar. We're giving you money, maybe, only if the price goes up a certain amount. And then this last, the last phrase is, is it all the materials? Is it each one one by one? So maybe all of the materials, if you look at this paragraph, maybe all the materials went up 23%. Well, you didn't meet the threshold. Because it's not 23% times you know, five sets of materials. It's each one of them one by one. You as a sub, you want to say when steel pipe and concrete and rebar and all of the pieces that make up the, the price increase together exceed a certain amount, that's when you want to get your price increase. Okay, so I, I know these provisions talk about subcontractors and contractors, but they can be easily changed by just changing it to owner and contractor, subcontractor and sub-subcontractor. The, the, the concepts are the same. Um, you just need to change the names and the provisions. Um, so there are other ways to solve these problems that I've heard about. Um, buying materials and storing them. So uh, that's possible. Hard to do when you have a lot of materials, right? How do you buy a 20-story uh, apartment complex worth of drywall? Like, where are you going to take it? Where are you going to put it? Um, how much is it going to cost to store? How much is it going to cost to double handle? Can you even get it all right now at the same price? So that's challenging. Um, so are any of the savings that you would achieve outweigh, uh, get outweighed by the cost, the double handling, the triple handling, the, the storage fees? Um, but we have had some clients where that works. Um, keep in mind that when you store the material somewhere, someone is responsible for that risk of loss. Who is going to insure it if you are not physically taking possession of it? So if you have you know, uh, a warehouse full of cabinets, and it's not your warehouse, you've rented one, because everyone's agreed that they're going to give you extra money and you're going to put it all there, who is insuring that in case a hurricane comes, or the roof collapses, or it catches on fire? You need to think about those things, because you don't save anything if it all goes up in smoke. Um, uh, we've had some clients who said, you know what, I think the price is at the top. So I'm going to go to the owner and I'm going to say, for an extra 5%, I will guarantee the price. An extra 2%, an extra 10%. And they have decided to bear that risk. Now maybe they're able to mitigate it somehow, but we've seen some clients do that. They're willing to bet a little bit on it, try to make a little more money um, to mitigate that risk. And, and then they're willing to, to, to do it that way. Um, so those are some of the things that we have seen. Um, does anybody have any questions about the contract provisions we talked about or anything else you've seen with respect to new contracts? Yes, that's an easy one. Um, so the question is, when we get contracts from general contractors, they don't want us to, to make any changes. Um, yes, I agree with you. They don't want you to make any changes. 
I am here to tell you, having done this for more than 20 years, every single contractor in town will make changes to their agreement. They will kick and scream. They will tell you you're the only one. Everyone else has signed this contract. Why are you holding up the job? They will all make changes. The way you make the changes is you prepare an addendum. They don't like it when you write all over their contract or when you redline their contract. So what they will accept typically is an addendum, right? So it's an add-on that says this document modifies the terms and conditions of our contract. Paragraph one, line seven, stricken. Uh, add new paragraph 14 that says, you know, and you list. So you'll have a couple of pages of an addendum. And again, I'm here to tell you, you list for me any contractor that tells you that, and I guarantee you we have, for a client, negotiated an addendum that they have accepted. That's great. So the question is, can you exclude uh, certain materials and have the owner take that responsibility? Absolutely. If that, if that works for you and they're willing to do it, you don't have to bear the risk. You don't have to deal with the cash flow. Um, that's a great way to solve this problem. You can say, owner, I'll do everything, but you have to buy all the material. That's, it's on them now. And that's even better because now you have to get them to agree to a schedule that works for you because now you're ready, you're, you're waiting, and the material hasn't arrived. It's now on them, not on you. Um, so that's a good idea. So we have a podcast. It's the leanzonepodcast.com. Uh, it comes out every week, different topics uh, dealing with construction, liens, bonds, and collections. Uh, so feel free to subscribe. Um, one, one last thing. So if you enjoyed today, uh, I would ask you to leave the Miami Construction Forum a review. The easy way to do that is if you point your phone here, it should take you right to the review page and go ahead and leave us a review. Vic, you said you have a question? Yeah. Right, so the, the, the question is how do you hold the price from your letter of intent from your vendors? And, and the short answer, unfortunately, as we've talked about at length, is that it's very hard, if not impossible, because even if you have a firm price from your vendor, you may not, they may not honor that price. So, uh, so the answer to that question is to make sure you include in your contract with whoever you have a contract with the right to have a price escalation. That's the only way to solve that problem. Any other questions? All right, so the question is, if you've signed a letter of intent, not the contract, and you, and you want to change your mind, can you change your mind? So it's going to sound familiar. Right. So the letter of intent was a year ago, and now, you know, things have changed. So you, this is going to sound familiar. You've got to look at what the document says. So in the old days, when I started, when I had hair, we, we would see letters of intent that said, hey, we're going to do the best we can. We'll talk about a contract. You know, thank you very much. It was pretty vanilla. Now we see letters of intent that say, thank you for agreeing. You've given us a price. You agree that that price is firm. And you also agree that barring our agreement to make changes to our standard subcontract, you agree that you will sign our contract when we present it to you without, without modification. And we've given you the schedule, and you agree that you're going to live up to that schedule, even if it changes. So not all letters of intent are created equal. You have to be very careful, and you've got to look at each one and see see which version it is. So for those of you that attended uh, in person, you have a few things in front of you. You have the calculine. This uh, helps you calculate 
your lean and notice to owner deadlines. You can make sure you can use it all the time. If you are online and you want one, send Narcy an email. She will send you one in the mail. And then we have some construction socks and hats for everybody. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, we do this every month. The next one, I should have written it down, Narcy. May 18th, and we're gonna have Frank Pulcini and the folks from Alter Surety, Jonathan Bursevich, and they're gonna come and talk to us about six ways that you can reduce your risk, reduce your insurance premiums, and increase your bonding capacity. Um, and that's gonna be May 18th here, and we'll also stream it live on LinkedIn. Thank you again, everybody, for coming. Uh, if you have any other questions, let me know. I'll be here for a while, um, and see you in a month. <laughs>